came downstairs in my flat to set my spinning bike up as I might do on a good day to do an hour of spinning. The next thing I know, I came to and I had head planted into my living room cabinet and was lying on the floor with a, a pain in my neck from the impact. I thought, oh, that's odd, I've, black, I've blacked out. That's a bit strange. And I tried to stand up and carry on with my day. But I, I, as I tried to stand up, it was really difficult. I was unable to move my left-hand side. My house guests came down and they found me and they had the good sense and presence of mind to say, oh, this is a 999 job. And they called an ambulance. Had it not been for them, there's no doubt in my mind I would have rolled over and lied on the floor until the lights eventually went out. So big shout out to Rachel and Ian Bott. I was rushed into Resus in Charing Cross and then to a CT scanner, which is used to look inside the brain and to see what's going on. And the stroke consultant said to me there, oh, you've had a stroke and it's a really big one. I had no idea what a stroke was except maybe the preconceived idea that it was for people of a certain age or with certain lifestyle choices that would lead to having these things. I was told that it was a big stroke and it was necessary to have an intervention called a thrombolectomy. For my head, it was traumatic. For my brain started to swell a lot. The swelling causes intracranial pressure, which is critical and can be dangerous because it can cause the brain to disconnect from the brain stem, which is fatal. To relieve the intracranial pressure, it was necessary to give me an anaesthetic and remove part of my cranium, part of the skull, to allow the brain cavity under the dura to expand outwards to lessen the pressure. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. A thrombectomy is a procedure used to treat some ischemic stroke patients. It involves using a specially designed clot removal device inserted through a catheter to pull or suck out the clot to restore blood flow. When used with other medical treatments on a specialist unit, evidence shows thrombectomy can significantly reduce the severity of disability a stroke can cause. As with clot-busting drugs, thrombectomy is most effective the faster it's used after a stroke and normally only performed up to six hours after symptoms start. In this episode, we hear from Ryan Davis from London, who suffered a stroke at the age of 47. I was into sport, into cycling, into barbell weightlifting, crossfit and into rowing. I'm very happy to live a minute's walk away from my rowing club, which is a joy for me to go down there and get my boat out and go on the river. I was really enjoyed being fit and eating well, and I would exercise every day. With, otherwise, I, it was something I, I did naturally and would do on holiday even, you know. So I was in good health, let's say. I, I was a blood pressure geek. I would measure it and chart my blood pressure, since I know that's to be a what they call a silent killer, isn't it? I worked in technology for a bank, which I loved. My job for me was a hobby. It was something I, I did and did with friends, and it was brilliant. So I, I miss that now. It was the Saturday, the 16th of March, 2019, and I came downstairs in my flat to set my spinning bike up, as I might do on a good day, to do an hour of spinning. 
The next thing I know, I came to and I had head planted into my living room cabinet and was lying on the floor with a, a pain in my neck from the impact. I thought, oh, that's odd. I've, black, I've blacked out. That's a bit strange. And I tried to stand up and carry on with my day. But I, I, as I tried to stand up, it was really difficult. I was unable to move my left-hand side. And the world was spinning a bit. Fortunately, at that time, my house guests came down and they found me. And they had the good sense and presence of mind to say, oh, this is a 999 job. And they called an ambulance. Had it not been for them, there's no doubt in my mind I would have rolled over and lied on the floor until the lights eventually went out. So big shout out to Rachel and Ian Bott. I live two minutes away from Charing Cross Hospital. And Charing Cross is one of six or seven hyperacute stroke centres in London where stroke teams and CT scanners are kept on standby all of the time. So I guess it's good place to have a stroke is in a big city because you're more likely to be able to get the care need speed is of the essence obviously with the stroke to have intervention quickly i was rushed into resus in charing cross and then to a ct scanner which is used to look inside the brain and to see what's going on and the stroke consultant said to me there oh you've had a stroke and it's a really big one i had no idea what a stroke was except maybe the preconceived idea that it was for people of a certain age or with certain lifestyle choices that would lead to having these things. I was told that it was a big stroke and it was necessary to have an intervention called a thrombolectomy. It was an ischemic stroke, which is caused by the, a blood clot in the brain. And a thrombolectomy is a procedure which is done when one is conscious, although sedated, and with a catheter, which is a wire with a device on the end of it, put inside the femoral artery in the groin, which goes all the way up into the brain and can be used there to remove the clot. That was successful, although for my head it was traumatic. For my brain started to swell a lot. The swelling causes intracranial pressure, which is critical and can be dangerous because it can cause the brain to disconnect from the brain stem, which is fatal. To relieve the intracranial pressure, it was necessary to get me an anaesthetic and remove part of my cranium, part of the skull, to allow the brain cavity under the dura to expand outwards to lessen the pressure. It's done reluctantly because there are risks at the reverse procedure, the cranioplasty, when they replace the removed bit of cranium with either the original bone or a titanium replacement, that has a high risk of infection. That's what happened with me. So this was at Charing Cross, and I was kept there for another six months in the acute stroke ward. And during that time, was given some early therapies and assessments, cognitive and physical assessments to determine the degree of damage that had taken place cognitively and neurologically. I was there for some months there, six months, I think. During that time, they decided, right, you're ready now to have the section of skull removed, that was removed, replaced, the cranioplasty. I mean, the teams there were brilliant, absolutely fantastic. CNRU in Charing Cross, absolutely wonderful. 
had the operation to replace the skull that had been removed since all this swelling had completely gone at that stage. However, as highlighted as a, as a risk with the cranioplasty, I contracted a, an infection. I guess it's a lar large area of material which is going in under the scalp. It resulted in me being in the intensive care department there in, in the neurosurgery for um, 17 days. My body temperature went between 38 and 40 degrees during that time. The intensive care consultant said that it was touch and go during that time. I was very, very poorly. And I think that had it not been for my being in, in relatively in good condition before this all happened, had it not been for that, I'd probably not have survived. I had round-the-clock, 24-7 monitoring from nurses. I mean, the highest intensity of, of nursing, such that if the nurse on duty, if he or she wanted to take a break, they would call for a replacement before taking a break. So it was absolutely not one moment of the day when I wasn't being attended to. The, the end of that, I had a few more months in the Charing Cross Stroke Recovery Ward before being transferred to the Wolfson Unit at Queen Mary's in Roehampton, where I stayed for nine months. After spending over a year recovering in hospital, Ryan was looking forward to returning home. At the end of my time in the Wolfson Unit, it was, it was intense recovery, intense therapy, and I was slightly stir-crazy and was keen to get home to routine and play an environment where I can be in control of it and have groceries and things like that and be an environment I was familiar with. I was nervous because I had stairs, stairs in my flat. It's a masonette and there were some adjustments that needed to be made to have a stair lift put in. And actually, coming back home was amazing. The What I wasn't aware of was all of the services that are available within the community, physiotherapy and carers who can come and help domestically and things like that. So I, I wasn't nervous. I had, I've got a lot of friends who live locally who were on hand to help. What helps me a lot, and it would be my advice to others going through this experience, is take, to take video of, of your recovery and of yourself at different stages. So that I found that incredibly helpful to, to look back on retrospectively so that I can observe progress. It's always encouraging when a friend visits who hasn't been for some time. When I was discharged from Charing Cross, there was a, I just remember a figure of a, one of the consultants there. And he said, right, sir, this is all we can do for you now. Now you're on your own. Now you have to fight for your recovery. He said it with such authority and conviction. It was really convincing. And I took great store in that. And he was absolutely right. So I'm, I'm progressing and have taken a lot of private physiotherapy which suits me to be able to do that and is very convenient and to have continuity with one ther therapist over a period is good. I'm accepting some things in life will change. The advice I would give to myself if I was going through the whole therapy again was, is that, yes, doing the therapy is important. Understanding the process of therapy is equally important, knowing how to recover and knowing what the body needs and the idea of what physiotherapy is there to do. It's not like weight training or something like that. It's not strength training. It's, it's about re-establishing neuro pathways and teaching the brain again to function as it was. I think there's great hope in that 
what neuroscience thinks about the brain now is different to what it thought 20 years ago, where it used to be thought that the brain stops changing from 18 or 20 years old. But now we know differently. We, neuroscientists would speak about neurogenesis and neuroplasticity, which goes on throughout life, that the brain is continually changing and can continually change. And that there are new therapies being developed, one of which that I've just tried, something new from America, from the Kepler Institute called prismatic therapy, used to help with a condition called hemispatial neglect, which has been fantastic. Hemispatial neglect is when one becomes unaware of, of the neglected side. In the most extreme manifestation, it can be that the patient would forget that they had a left side to their body and would then ignore it. And further manifestations exist such that you then have sensory loss or deficit on that neglected side. I had a degree of this. And the prismatic therapy is a very simple treatment, which occupational therapists are quite excited about, given that it's a very simple intervention requiring the patient to wear glasses with prisms in, which offsets the world to, say, 10 degrees to the unaffected side and do a daily procedure of touching things in front of you. And slowly the, the brain gets recalibrated as such, let's say, so that you become more aware of the neglect issue that you have. And from then the brain can begin to see the world differently and become aware. And I had this and it was brilliant, not instant. However, it has been effective in my case. And the researcher who worked with me doing a PhD at Imperial said that the effects can continue improving over time. Coming up, Ryan talks about wanting to give back. I'd like to take the trolley round. They had a trolley service on the wards run by the Friends of Roehampton. That was a fantastic thing that volunteers did. And being a patient, one really appreciates the trolley coming around with polos and crisps and shampoo and things like that. It was really, really good. And I, I'd love to take that round and do that. And the importance of education. It's incredibly encouraging to watch how people have persevered through that. So education is very important. There's a lot of material, books and audiobooks. One is called Stronger After Stroke, which is brilliant for maybe a family and for a, a stroke survivor to refer to, which talks about the vision for being stronger after a stroke. Education is, is key. Understanding the process of recovery. Let's hear how Ryan's stroke impacted his job. Vocationally, I, I, I'm not sure when, because I need to, being on a programmer, I need to be very quick with the keyboard. It's my tool of the craft, if you like. And using one hand or using voice software dictation, it's just maybe prohibitively slow. Also, my cognitive impairment prevents me from concentrating very well, at the moment at least. That may improve, continue to improve. But I make so many mistakes when I type, even with one hand, which I don't notice. That impairment isn't very compatible with writing software, unfortunately. However, if I'm able to, 
what I would like to do next is study at a master's in computer science at King's London. That would be the dream. The second is I would like to go in, into the hospital in, in Roehampton and I'd like to take the trolley round. They had a trolley service on the wards run by the Friends of Roehampton. That was a fantastic thing that volunteers did. And being a patient, one really appreciates the trolley coming around with polos and crisps and shampoo and things like that. It was really, really good. And I, I'd love to take that round and do that. Ryan thinks you should learn as much as you can about stroke. So if I had to go through all that again, what would I do differently? And one thing is certainly I would have I would have taken maybe audio notes as a diary every day or because the whole thing is a blur, a year and a half in the hospital, video diary and an audio diary, I would have done that. I think what is very helpful is online resources. So there is a on YouTube, lots and lots of things on YouTube and podcasts, obviously. But on YouTube, there's a channel called Attitude, which covers people with brain injury and spinal injury. And it's incredibly encouraging to watch how people have persevered through that. So education is very important. There's a lot of material, books and audio books. One is called Stronger After Stroke, which is brilliant for maybe a family and for a, a stroke survivor to refer to, which talks about the vision for being stronger after a stroke. Education is key, understanding the process of recovery. Patients, and as my occupational therapist said, you can't rush the brain. The brain will get better in its own time and it needs a lot of, initially after the acute phase, a lot of rest to tiredness is a is a manifestation of the effort that the brain is going through to recover itself. Understanding that it's an ongoing process for life. There's some scary things said in sort of hearsay about recovery, maybe that if you, after two years, that's it, you don't change, you don't get any better. But there are TED Talks online who discuss that point and say, that's nonsense, the brain is always changing. Ryan spent a great deal of time in hospital following complications after his surgery and the intensive rehab programme he was part of at Queen Mary's Hospital. Now he's home, he's continuing to build on his recovery, as well as trying new techniques to regain full movement in his neglected side. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. I went to the restroom, came up, and I was real tired, real tired and weak. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't catch my breath, and I was breathing real heavy. So I knew something wasn't right. So I asked, I called my wife, I told her, I said, babe, can you call the ambulance? Something ain't right. Because I just wasn't able to catch my breath, you know, and I was breathing real heavy. So that was real scary, because I never felt like that before. Please do subscribe to Stroke Stories and rate and comment because that helps us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.